What's good? What's good? What's good, everybody? It's Dr. Theo back again with another episode of the Black Social Capital Podcast. I'm here today, excited to uh, introduce y'all to a great collective of Black men uh, I've been reading books with for the past several months, and we decided to come and share our, our experiences with y'all uh, here today uh, in the Black Men's Book Club. So uh, before we get started, I'm going to share with you a little bit of uh, the books that we've been reading, and we'll introduce who's here as well. All right, so uh, as you can see, our room is full. Uh, I'm going to kick off the episode by introducing Brandon. Brandon Dorsey, I've known since high school. He hit me up uh, after years and years. I thought it was spam. He was like, hey, you want to read books? And I was like, I like reading, and I haven't seen you in a while. And then there was all these other people that he introduced me to as well. So uh, uh, welcome, Brandon, to the show. Uh, would love to hear from you just a little bit about yourself and uh, why you decided to to launch the Black Man's Book Club. Yeah, no, thanks, Theo. Uh, so yeah, like my name is Brandon Dorsey. I work in financial planning and analysis. Uh, pretty much what that basically means is uh, I think of it more of like anybody unfamiliar with finances, like corporate finance slash accounting. I uh, do a lot of month-end uh, variance analysis, a lot of uh, yearly and annual forecasting. Uh, so outside of work, though, uh, just in terms of the book club, the reason why I really started the book club and what basically just um, – a passion for me was really just to like, I really think that it can like change people's lives. Like when I started like reaching out to people, I thought about people who one had a various background. I didn't want people who were all like in finance like me or all had like the same background. I wanted to have like that intellectual diversity, uh, just have people who have different viewpoints. And also just wanted it to be people who I know are like highly intelligent and will have highly uh, just good thoughts and really uh, add to the conversation. Uh, so I really wanted it because I really believe that the more that you read, the more that you grow, the more that you develop, the more that you can like really just positively impact your life. And also like a lot of us uh, people are a part of the book club. A lot of people are like husbands. A lot of people are like your sons, your fathers, your brothers, uh, your uncle. Like, and you really just like use, you set a positive example for other people in the next generation, the importance of reading. Uh, I read a book, Read to Lead, that actually was the motivation for uh, starting the book club that said the single biggest predict predictor for whether or not kids are going to be successful later on in life is are they independent readers by age of 16. Uh, so just like having a book club where we can like be positive influences for whether it's our kids, whether it's for our nieces and nephews, just really let them see the importance and value of it and really just set a positive example. I think that's really just going to be like the win-win and just allow us to like really give back and just set a good legacy and have a good foundation for ourselves and the next generation going forward. So that's my story. Brandon believes the children are the future. Yeah, way. Um, I, I'm going to go and uh, pass the baton uh, to AC. He's on the same uh, level there as, as Brandon. So I wanted to have him introduce himself real quick. And then we'll talk to Bruce and then Robert. We'll get the party started. I don't know that I'm that high on the echelon, but I appreciate you saying so anyway. Uh, so Al Curtis. Friends all call me AC. So I uh, have known Brandon since 
actually before we got to Duke, um, but really developed our bond at Duke. Kind of same story. We hadn't talked in a, in a really long time, but uh, he reached out about a book club, and I think he he knows enough about me to know that I'm I'm all for any opportunity that's going to sharpen iron and edify us edify me and edify other people. Um, so I was all in, even though I got a full-time job uh, in the United States Air Force, uh, got a wife, got a uh, three-year-old and a four-month-old who I, I can hear in the background right now. I don't know if you all can. Uh, but taking on this this additional uh, task, if you will, has, has really been a joy because uh, it's, it's reinvigorated for me um, just to, just that intellectual stimulation that you get from reading and reading for more than just work and reading for more than just work purposes uh, and really just being able to develop my personal self and, and then bring that to work and, and see that pay dividends going forward. So I've, I would love being with y'all. Theo, appreciate you bringing us on the podcast. That's me in a nutshell. Of course, look, and and I, I appreciate your, your four month old making the debut on the podcast because that says, look, we we real about this work, right? Can't say we ain't doing what we supposed to be doing. Uh, Bruce, I see you over there. You got the full headset on. That means you professional at this game. Tell us what you do and uh, why why you enjoy the book club. For sure, thanks, Theo. Uh, Bruce Woods. Um, I'm a vice president at one of the world's largest uh, banks. Um, similar to AC, uh, Brandon and I, actually Brandon, AC and I all graduated at the same time in college. So we were all freshmen at the same time. We all met each other around the same time. So we all have some very fun and fond stories that go way back. And so um, when Brandon reached out to me about this book club, it was automatic, absolutely, let's do this. And, and since then, it's been exactly, if not more than what I wanted it to be. It's there's not a lot of safe spaces for black men to gather in the way that we've been able to gather and be able to share intellectual banter in the way we've been able to share it. So it's been an amazing experience. I've learned a lot from each of the gentlemen on this call. Um, hopefully I've shared a lot as well. And you know, it's, it's something I look forward to continuing to do. I and mean, it's gotten me reading books that are a little bit out of my own comfort zone, which has been nice. So um, you, know, you can't help but gain great perspective when you're surrounded by intelligent men with life experiences that they can share with you. So again, it's been a pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to where this goes. Awesome. Awesome. And, and round us out, Robert, I see you over there. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Theo, uh, Robert Bailey here. Um, I'm in a similar, uh, profession as Brandon. So, um, uh, financial planning and analysis leader, um, and, and uh, some corporate strategy along with that. I'm currently in the private equity backed uh, software space um, and I'm based in Orlando, Florida. Um, th that's where I actually met Brandon. Uh, we work for the same company uh, roughly, I don't know, almost a decade ago. And he reached out kind of uh, in the same fashion and, and brought up this book club and you know i was apprehensive at first but what i would say is you know the um as some of the other fellows ha have said the conversation the camaraderie the uh different perspectives that you know each of us bring to the table has been i would say phenomenal and um you know where it's helped me is to to really um frame things up differently um and, and respond differently 
um, you know, when I have challenges, whether it be at home, uh, in the in the in the workspace, uh, just in life in general. So, um, you know, the different books that we've read, which have spanned, you know, various topics, um, you know, has 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 led to just that greater perspective. So, uh, again, glad that you you have us here, uh, Theo, on your podcast, and uh, yeah, looking forward to tonight's discussion on uh, nothing personal. See, I'm going to jump in. Right, sorry. Everybody's been like, thank you, Theo, for letting us in on his podcast. I can tell you guys haven't listened to an episode because this is actually Dr. Jackie's podcast. She carries him. <laughs> like, so I'm just going to let you guys know that. <laughs> Brandon always wants to show up when it's I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. We, we, know, we know who brings in the I'm news. As you can tell, we're we going to be ripping each other a little bit in this episode. Um, but one of one of the things I liked about uh, the book club, just to bring it back there for one quick second, is that uh, the podcast is called Black Social Capital, and in this in this club, uh, although I, I didn't plan for it myself, uh, and 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 Brandon reached out to me, it was an exact example of what I think Black Social Capital is, right? In terms of meeting new folks, uh, you know leveraging not only their networks but like that that time you spend in learning something new uh, i think is really important so you know uh as you saw in that first little clip we've read several books um the last one uh was great i believe uh by angela duckworth um and and i wanted to bring uh, my, my good guy James Baldwin into into the fray one because I was like I can we can get through some Baldwin pretty quick you know um, I, I found that he he did this this short pictorial book uh, 1963 nothing personal along with some essays and uh, I started reading it and I looked it up online and it kept saying how there were similar similarities between what he was saying in 1963 1964. Uh, that made sense in 2022. And so I was like, well, let me read it all the way through. And I found the PDF. The PDF was 14 pages. I was like, I know who can read 14 pages. Uh, the people in this room and the, and the uh, audio book was about an hour. So uh, before we jump into uh, the dis- discussion of the book, I'm going to play this quick clip that'll remind us a little bit about what was happening uh, and what was the context uh, in 1963 to make uh, James Baldwin really think about the state of America as he saw it and then say, it's nothing personal, but this is the way things are. So uh, thank you, Audio Cassettes, for being introduced in 1963. If it wasn't for you, we would never have the the Walkman or, or the uh, the Discman and all your all your digital children. But as you can see, uh, 1963 pivotal year for the U.S. Lots going on in the world. Uh, but Brandon, we'll start with you uh, from this from this essay. Nothing personal from this book. What what stood out to you 
uh, some of your first thoughts and then feel free to, to pop it off to somebody else as well. Yeah, so there were, I would say, like, three major things that um, I highlighted when I was still, like, taking notes on it that really stood out to me. Uh, the first is really when Baldwin talked about how basically, like, the history, like, the history of, like, white America, how it actually, like, kind of hurts whites in that they're supposed that they have this myth of the, in their fiction of them being, like, superior, but then they actually, reality doesn't line up with that. It's like, you have, like, this myth of, like, just being superior based on, like, your race and just being a member of, like, the white class and, like, white cast, but then, like, you have that burden because you're not getting superior outcomes, but the average person isn't getting superior outcomes. Like, that really just reminded me of um, a book called Mediocre um, that I read earlier, like, last year, and how it really just talked about how, like, the weight of, uh, of believing that you're superior and like how that actually like really negatively impacts their mental health when they don't get superior outcomes uh, just based on what societal expectations are for whiteness. So that was like the first thing that stood out. I think the second thing that stood out for me was when he talked about like how we don't really love our children. And he talked about like how we don't know who we are, so we can't love our children. So that really got me thinking like, can you love someone without knowing who you are? Um, and it was interesting because like a lot of like people don't have like knowledge of self, don't understand like who they are, where they came from. And they like have these different like facades that they put on. So then like, since that's kind of like a universal like experience and universal thing that people like humans do to just survive in different societies and different cultures. Like if we don't, if we get to the point where we are, we can't tell who we are versus our mask. Are we actually capable of love? Because Baldwin talks about how like love is the most important thing that will like get us out of this, if, if it's possible for us to like move beyond uh, the moment that we're in. Like, if we don't know who we are, can we actually like love others and like use that love to propel us forward to like positive solutions? Uh, then, the, like the third thing that really uh, stood out to me was he talked about boundaries and he said like when you don't set boundaries, like children know that you don't love them, which is kind of different for me. Cause like I read like a book earlier this year, uh, how to do the work. And like in that, she talked about how a lot of times we don't set boundaries because we're worried about losing people. We're worried that if we set boundaries, if we say no, people aren't going to love us. People aren't going to want to like talk to us or have anything to do with us. But he came at it from a different angle saying that if you don't set boundaries, it subconsciously communicates to the person that you don't care about them. And I had never like thought about it from that angle like which was interesting like so i guess like if you don't set boundaries it ends up putting you in a place where like the person doesn't feel secure so i guess like yeah i'll just like leave it at that those are, like the top three things that i took away uh from uh the article perfect man like like you, you hit on some some nuggets that i resonated with as well but i guess we'll do a, a quick round robin and and see folks uh initial thoughts as well uh we'll kick it off over to, to bruce Sure. And so I think for me, um, one of the top things that stood out is the similarity of conversations over the years. And what I mean by that is I think that it's, a, it's interesting to read something that was written so long ago and hear some of the same themes that you talk about now in 2022. Right. So these topics of race, these topics of police brutality, these topics of, you know, just altogether feeling a bit stressed right, with the way things are. It's interesting that these topics are essentially 50, 60, 70 years old. And what it points to, at least in my opinion, is that, you know, it gives you, it makes you ask the question, how much further has, th has things changed, right? So I think that there's this notion of how much further we are because of certain societal markers, right? Like obviously one of the big flashpoints is having Barack Obama's president, right? That becomes this huge flashpoint. And that's of course, an example of progress. But 
it's, it's interesting that we have a lot of these hood ornaments, if you will, or these these top level things that kind of show progress, but it's all these other underlying underlying things that make you ask the question, well, how much have we changed as a country and a culture? Um, and so I think that was kind of one of the big things that stuck, stood out to me. The second thing also, I'm going to read this quote. It's a little bit long, so bear with me. Um, the poor oh, white... <laughs> the poor white was enslaved almost from the instant he arrived on these shores, and he is still enslaved by a brutal and cynical oligarchy. The utility of the poor white was to make slavery both profitable and safe, and therefore the germ of white supremacy, which he brought with him from Europe, was made hideously to flourish in the American air. Two world wars and a worldwide oppression have failed to reveal to this poor man that he has far more in common with the ex-slaves who he fears than he has with the masters who oppress them both for profit. And you know that really, really stood out to me because I think that what you end up finding out is you know, when you start talking to people and kind of really breaking down some of the walls is that there's probably a lot more in common with us across races than there is not across, but because there's this wedge being divided between us in a lot of different weird ways that it, it becomes a sense of white supremacy, black people are bad when they, you know, a lot of the people that are, you know, are in this white supremacist mode probably have the same issues that we have if they were to listen and say, you know, we're both kind of struggling economically here, you know, maybe we should think about that and be a bit more on top of this in that way. And so um, it's interesting. And one last thing I'll add to that, um, I remember when I had class at college, um, one of the things that was interesting was a um, AAAS class. Um, basically, hey, what's AAAS for those who didn't go to oh, Duke? I'm sorry. Um, that's a great question. Um, African-American studies, essentially. Uh, I forget what the third A stands for. Um, but <laughs> I, was, I was in the class, though. I got an A. Maybe that's what the oh, A you got, you got another A, so that's four A's in the class. That's right. Um, but basically, long story short, um, you know, in, when, in the early... I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Al. What were you saying? The other A was African, like African and African-American studies. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. But, um, but so, you know, when I was in the class, there we, talk, they, we talked about how in the early, early days of, of you know, the original colonies, uh, what you found a lot of was black men and white women actually were getting along a lot more because they were actually both basically considered lower class. And so in order to create division, they started creating the one drop rule, right? So they, they basically say, okay, you know, you can't inherit land if you start making babies with these black men, right? And so it's interesting that there's this, this notion of economics and this notion of creating division around economics um, that then becomes this catalyst for things like race. So I just found that really interesting overall. And, and I, I agree with that point. But we're going to take a pause for the cause because you know it wouldn't be a black man's book club if we didn't have one, at least one late arrival. We got one uh, We got one person that joined the group. We're going to put the spotlight on them real quick. Jarvis, come on, introduce yourself. We just said name and, wow. and uh, how we got introduced to the club and things that we do. So go ahead. I'll see you, brother. Well, let me turn on my mic. Um... <laughs> Uh, Jarvis, Freeman. I am a, uh, a and I was, I've been in the lobby for at least 10 or 15 minutes, just for the record. 
Yeah, I'm clicking a lot of buttons over here. I'm clicking a lot of buttons. No worries, no worries. But um, Jarvis Freeman, um, I work for a, a leading cloud provider. I'm a basically an advisory CTO. We call that a solutions architect. So I'm a, uh, I guess you would call it a blur, a black nerd, something like that. Hey, we, we love it. We love it. Good stuff. And, and, and j- jump right in. What were your, uh, what were some of your initial thoughts around the work? Uh, so, things that stood out to you. So the the way he described how he used media to distract himself in the very beginning. So he talked about how media distracts himself. How media had those false images. Like um, he described the hair as what was it aluminum, and uh, it, which. Which means that we're we're in the same space all over again with media. It's just a new, a new medium in which we take it in. So instead of the TV commercials telling us what beauty is, instead of the TV commercials telling us what um, a good life looks like, now it's social media and influencers. And what's only thing that's gotten worse about that is now we have more people with less skills getting famous. That's that's basically how I see it. Is we got the same problem. It's just now. There's more people involved in this whole um, ruse, per se. Like everybody's rich, everybody, nobody's normal, nobody's average. Everybody is all these things, and that's what exactly what he's seeing on TV. So it was it was odd to see that in a writing from nineteen from the nineteen sixties, and how relevant it is to today that the world feels artificial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that was a whole the whole section at the very beginning. I, it took me a couple times. I, I'll be honest, I read it over a couple times. I'm like, what he said in this paragraph. Um, and I always expect to do that with Baldwin, but he, he, you know, he made some analogies about how you know people were trying to to be flawless in their appearance and like you know uh, you know their skin had to be taut and not moving, and, and and you know those are things that that we're dealing with today in terms of like. You know whether people are getting surgeries or not, and you know how they present themselves in the public or not, whether they're using a filter or not. I, I was like, it, it's oddly, <laughs> oddly specific for yeah. for 1963 work. Uh, Robert, go ahead. Yeah, I, w- I was gonna say as as I as I read the first first page a couple times, same thing. I had to like I went back and I said, wait, when was this written again? Just to uh, because you know because it was so uh, relatable to to, to uh, today's times, but uh, you, you mentioned um, so I'm 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 gonna quote it because because it, it was almost like poetry to me like I, I had to read it a couple times I was like this is above my head, but uh, teeth gleaming like grill work of automobiles breasts firmly chillingly encased packaged as if. Um, as it were, and brilliantly uplifted forever, all sagging, corrected. So it's like, you know, just what just what Jarvis said, you know, kind of, um, you know, a, a ruse almost. Just all of these um, media things being thrown at them. But the, I guess the, um, the the big things that jumped out at me, the or the other items that jumped out at me, uh, Brandon mentioned, Bruce mentioned. Um, but it was the, like um, about the setting boundaries. That was a big one, you know, relatable since I, I've got, uh, you know, t- two boys, a, a 13 year old and a 10 year old. It was like, you know, wow, just, a, you know, a, again, a different perspective to, to say, OK, you know, if, if you don't set boundaries, like how how 
does that other person take it? You know, do they do they take it that way that uh, they aren't loved or, um, you know, that that you aren't preparing them for the journey is how James Baldwin said it. Um, and then the I mean, I guess the final point I would make is is for me, you know, 14 pages, it was it was relatively short, but I feel like it was just all over the place with um, with with just um, you know the, the the points he was trying to make and you know by the, by the end he was talking about chicago and hong kong and you know the need for love and 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 i was like man where is he going so it's you know it was it was pretty deep and i had to read some of the passages a couple times to you know to to kind of get get what he was uh uh getting at so, so dare I say you wasn't you felt that he was ranting at the end and it was making no sense. I was like, I, I, was, like, I was like, I was like, what? Hong Hong Kong, Chicago, like you know, he needs love and something about um uh you know he started talking about um the 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 warmth of love and you know it, you know essentially that um it's kind of it's something that that we all need. But um, yeah, it, I just felt it was it was a bit of a rant. Like, okay, where where are you going with this? So. You said time to wrap it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and AC, uh, any, anything in particular out, outside of what had already been said um, that stood out to you? Yes. Kind of on the point that Robert was just making, but taking from a different perspective. So I I read the essay, finished the essay. And to me, I'm putting it in context, right? And I'm looking at these 14 pages, and I'm, I'm kind of trying to consume everything that I just that I just read and understood everything I just read. And I'm looking at this, and I'm like, this is an artist who just basically just freestyled over a beat for like 15 minutes, and didn't didn't skip a beat. Uh, you know, they're going to go different places when they when they do that, but but every single place that he went to me. To me, just every single place that he went, uh, it had relevance to his overarching theme. Like I, I really, when I closed it, uh, and this is going to sound odd, but it was almost biblical to me in that I, I took his his essay thematically, and the first thing that came to my mind was, uh, but but above all things, uh, faith, faith, hope, and love. But but the greatest of these is love. Uh, you know, thematically, I, I could see his struggle with those three things: you know, faith in the form of trust, uh, uh, his his hope through the four a.m. despair, and those those late nights that just keep you up, wondering what is tomorrow actually going to bring? Is tomorrow actually going to come? What is it going to bring? Am I ready for what it's going to bring? Considering what I just went through yesterday, uh, and the 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 love aspect of it, I, I actually thought that was really profound because you know there are so many things that that have no context to us absent love. So case in point right now is my wife Tanya. Uh, Gary, Indiana to me is just the home of the Jackson Five. That's all it's been for the for the entirety of my life. But Gary, Indiana to me now has relevance in my life because that's where she's from. So I've invested myself in understanding like what's happened to Gary and understanding what's happening here. He was thinking about like, okay, 
what could we maybe do in the future to, to try and help and uplift, you know, like, but these are things that would have never been relevant to my life uh, had she not come into my life and, and made my life better in that regard. Really enjoyed the read, really enjoyed the fact that it was only 14 pages because as you can hear in the background, there's a lot going on in my life. But it, I really enjoyed the fact that you were able to. Report. Look, um, shout, shout out to the missus holding it down and shout out to Chicago and Northwest Indiana because, you know, they're doing, they're doing some great things uh, uh, down that way. Um, you know, actually in that, in that section of text, um, I pulled out uh, this other quote that he said, it has always been much easier because it always seemed much safer to give a name to the evil without uh, evil without uh, than to locate the terror within, right? And so uh, that that speaks to his his idea of you know people pointing fingers about where where the problems are you know in our society and then you know failing to look at at uh, you know sometimes it's in our own neck of the woods, right? It's in our own laws, it's in our own social structures. Um, so I think that that is really telling, especially given the dynamics of, of uh, you know, the, the arguments that we're, we're making around uh, various safety issues around Black Lives Matter issues around, um, you know, all these things. And it's always easier, especially if you've bought into that myth that, that uh, Baldwin was talking about to, uh, to point fingers elsewhere. So I definitely highlighted that myself. Um, you know, as we were, were chatting. Isn't that like kind of the other side of the coin of that African proverb that uh, there's no enemy within, the enemy without can do no harm? Like, that's really what I took from that when I was reading that. Um, like, just that if people would rather deal with external, blame external things rather than like really look inside and really deal with the things that they have to deal with, with their own character, with their own selves. So it was just interesting. Um, it, I feel like he has a really profound way of like looking at things from like common things we may be aware of, but he'll flip it and look at it from a different angle and a different side to really just like make it even like more impactful and make it more thought provoking. So yeah, sorry. didn't mean to cut you off the deal. I don't know. This is part, part of your show as well. You just gave me the microphone for today. I'm going to go sit back in the background uh, next month. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think uh, like, like, it's so interesting that so many issues and so many like quotes come from these 14 pages. Like I just kept highlighting the highlighting and each one was like a separate essay unto itself. Like, like, uh, you know, this quote right here where he says, if a society permits one portion of its citizenry to be menaced or destroyed, then very soon no one in that society is safe. I'm like, was you watching the news like yesterday? <laughs> like like yesterday. Like so it, it's so uh it's so interesting um you know to to think about you know during this time you know you had Kennedy uh being assassinated, the march on Washington, all things that he will probably react to, but also like like I think Brandon was saying earlier, like problems that haven't had solutions to them yet. So um but I'm gonna pause for the cause. Was there any any uh, any other um, thoughts or shifts? 
Because I know that there was some portions in here that we we didn't all agree with because we always got some disagreements. And I know who weeds off disagreements. It's either between Brandon and Bruce. See, you see, I actually had no disagreement this time. See that? We're not at the disagreement part of the podcast yet. It might happen later, but not right now. See? Oh, so you're not going to ask us some questions now? No, no, no questions. Not now. <laughs> but well, uh, I'm, I'm surprised. Well, it may, maybe it's ball. Maybe ball would just wrote an airtight essay. And now we have no disagreements. But um, but in all seriousness, though, I think it's interesting to kind of go back to that quote you pulled out. Um, I'm trying to pull it out myself. It's always it's, it's always been much easier to give a name to the evil without without the locate the terror within. And so just a couple of things that, you know, really, you know, speak to me, even as we talk about it here. So it's number one, from a pure human nature perspective, it's always easier to advise than to act. I think that we do, as humans, especially in America, we do a better job of telling people what they should or should not do than doing self-reflection. And so this is kind of a, an extrapolated and exaggerated version of that because we're just not really good at doing that self-reflection. And so if you can't even look at yourself and say, hey, maybe I need to go for a jog today, then how are you going to look inward and say, maybe I need to stop being ridiculous. Maybe I need to be a bit kinder to people, right? And so... I think that unfortunately is, is this like a is this like a personal journal for you right now? Are you like <laughs> having like a moment? <laughs> I mean, I just want to stop for the cause. I just want to say this is a safe space. So it's a brave I mean, space, you, you know. And not for me personally. I mean, I, I know some other people that I have some text threads from that might you know say otherwise. But you know, I'm not going to call those people out, of course. <laughs> so, <laughs> but um, but in all seriousness, I, I think that. You know, if we think about how this applies to where we are, for example, just as a society, it's it's always going to be easier. And, you know, people play on it to say we should blame X person for this problem. So inflation, blame this group, uh, crime, blame this group. Right. Um, when the answers actually might just be internally, internally focused, but we don't want to do that. And so what's scary about this is that with, with something like this in place, there's always going to be someone who can play on that and profit from that. And there's always going to be someone who can, who's going to fall for it. And then the system kind of keeps itself going. And so, you know, I, I just wanted to call that out. I think that's pretty interesting as we talk about all the points that were mentioned here and you brought the quote up that this is also kind of at play with all the things we're looking at. That's a good point. And I actually kind of so want to get sit. some perspectives from, one of the military people, like, so either Al and or Jarvis, because, like, what Bruce, like, hit on was that, like, we really can't, a lot of people, a lot of it is kind of an education issue. Like, people don't want to, like, do the internal work, and they also don't want to, like, become educated about how inflation works, or how, what causes crime, what, what are some of the roots of crime, and, uh, like, urban development, things like that. Like, so, when you think about it, what, from the education angle, like, do you think that a democracy can stand when you have a general populace that refuses and is hostile to educating themselves to even be like citizens in a democracy? And how does that make you, what is that, what is your uh, view on that? And like, how does that make you feel from the stance that you guys like actively serve and fight for that democracy? Uh, you want me to take it? You want me to take it easy? I can take it. Go ahead, Jarvis. I'll, I'll jump in as well. Oh, you go ahead, Joe. We'll jump in. So when I think of um, as a black person, I think we're the most patriotic people. Let's start there. We fought and died in every war before we were free. We were we fought for others' freedoms on behalf of the U.S. before. Um, how do you say? Once again, we were free. So we were still segregated, fighting in wars. 
and things like that. So in every juncture, we prove that ourselves that we we believe in the American dream and that we believe in the freedom that we're fighting for. Right. We'll start there. Now, when we get to the um, how do you say how do I feel about the whole can kind of democracy stand without education? Um, I believe that democracy can stand. Because we we you don't need education to know what's right. You don't know you don't need education to know to help your neighbor. Kids aren't educated, but they help people all the time. Like you see black kids help white kids and white kids and vice versa without any kind of education. The education is kind of like what puts you back or behind because it gives you that jaded perspective. You naturally innately help people. Like, hey, I see a kid fall down. I just go help him, not because he's white or black, but just because he fell down. So I don't think we need any special education on urban development. You don't need special education on even the history of the U.S. You just have to get beyond the blinders that are put in, put in between us to divide us. And um, the one, one of the few things I am proud about my service is that the military has always been the first with like integration, things like that, because they realize like, yo, we, when it gets down, when bullets start flying, I really don't care who takes the bullet, what color they were. I don't really care who protects me because I just want to make it home. So with, with, with things like that, you don't need education for that because shit, everything in the military is written at the seventh grade level anyway. So what education do you really need? That's true. That's why he's laughing. That's why he's laughing. Oh man. Look, so, I'm, laughing, I'm laughing because I'm going to point out the difference between the army and the air force, but never mind. I don't <laughs> Don't worry. Don't worry. Shots fired. Shots fired. My, my dad, my dad's retired Air Force. Wow. Uh, look, you got some fire going on right now. But um, what, I, what I'm getting at is the education, the, the, the desire to help, the desire to be community driven, the desire to be social are all innate within us. The desire to unify are all in them. You don't need any special education to care. There's no education that causes you to care. That's all I'm saying. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll so stop. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll say from my take, and, and this is one of the things I love about this forum, right? Because because you're asking perspective from two military service members, and, and you're about to get two different opinions on on something. Uh, just just goes to show that we are not a monolith the same way black people are not a monolith. Message, okay. Um, <laughs> the, on the on the education point, I, I I do think an education is fundamentally important. Maybe not necessarily, and I think what you what you were trying to get at, Jarvis, is it, is not necessarily that I have to sit down in class and study five five different subjects and and take this test and pass this test. But but the education that that I think that Baldwin was talking about in, in terms of just the the time that we take to nurture and grow one another and the time that we that we take to grow ourselves that education is fundamental to a democracy it's fundamental to any any society that's going to sustain itself uh point blank period uh if you if you if we lose that we, we will have lost our democracy um the the i think optimistic part of me that that uh, embraced the the thematic faith, hope, and love that that James Baldwin continued to kind of bring me back to. Uh, puts on this uniform every day proudly and, to, and says, "That's my reason. 
like you you heard my reason in the background but but that that's my reason because i was blessed to have a a, a family in a community that raised me um yes i, I had a uh, quote-unquote education uh, i've got a quote-unquote degree but the things that i that i learned that i, th I think truly make me who i am came from there uh that's the, that's the reason to put on that, that uniform, right? Um, at the same time, it, I can't ignore the fact that to get to that faith, hope, and love, he took us on an emotional roller coaster that took me through all kinds of things and had me feel in some kind of way because he went to the place of pointing out the fact that it's not all perfect. Um, and it's it's not always going to be perfect, and it's going to be days where you have where you you struggle with the world around you because we because we try to raise people as best best we can. But um, there's a a really great poem. I'm going to paraphrase it. It basically says that that um, parents and adults are are uh, just the bow, and the kids are the arrow. And once you let it go, they're going to fly where they will. Um, I, and I think that is a metaphor for society, right? Like that arrow is going to go where it wants to go. It's not going to go where necessarily where you intending it to go all the time. And there, there are parts of society that that we clearly struggle with. And there are parts of, in those parts of society, the things that he acknowledged, and, and the fact that he could acknowledge them at that time, you know that it's something that had to have built up in him to get to the point to write it on paper. So it's not like it was a new occurrence that just happened at that moment. This is decades upon decades of things that he has seen to get to that point that we are still seeing today. It can be extremely discouraging and it can make you wonder whether or not that's, this is the right place. Um, but I think you continue to go back to, to Jarvis's point for all of those wonders and all those doubts, there's always that little kid who just helped that other little kid up just because the little kid fell. You know, there's there's that YouTube video of those, uh, those um, little Asian kids who are sitting down in their kindergarten classroom and the one's falling asleep on on the end and he about to fall off the chair and the other one's like, come here, I got you, and put his head on his shoulder. Nobody had to teach him that. He, he just... He, nobody had to formally teach him that. He learned that just because he saw good people around him and he knew that that was the right thing to do. When you see things like that, it, it always gives you the hope and encouragement that I think supersedes um, those negative things and, and makes you believe that you can fight towards those things and actually make those things happen uh, on a universal scale. Look, I, I don't know about y'all, but this, uh, this episode... Uh, of the book club, it's it's more warm and fuzzy feelings than than usual. We up here, usually we up here talking about revolution and burning things, and today we are talking about love. So I mean that's James Baldwin. Can I chime in? Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Jarvis. Um, the U.S. Marine Corps is on track to have its first black four-star general in what was that two hundred forty-six years or so, something like that. <laughs> So to, to show that though we love this country and everything else, we still have long ways to go. And we're still, we're still having first in things that we've served in since the, its inception. So to have a first four-star black general 
in the United States Marine Corps. One of the huge things, shout out to him. I need to learn his name, but also like, it also shows just even in 2022, we're still struggling to, to make that progress. Like we're still having firsts in the military and we would, and that's the first thing that integrated amongst us. So it's, it's a double-edged sword or it's mixed feelings to support the democracy. It's mixed feelings to be a part of it. It's mixed feelings even to put on the uniform. Because when I'm in that uniform, I'm safe. I'm an okay man. I'm a good man. I don't even like to identify as a veteran because people give me the benefit of the doubt. They're like, oh, well, you're a veteran. You're this, this time, are you a veteran? And I'm like, screw that. I could be a good, I should be a good man because I'm a good man, not because I serve. You know, right. so those all those things are a lot of mixed feelings. So that's that's well, awesome. I, I, yeah. I think um to tie into something that, that you just said in terms of like having mixed feelings, but also like being active and involved, right? I think that that's the, the portion that, that I took out from what Baldwin was saying in terms of like, we have we have some of these freedoms and yet and still we don't understand how some of the systems work. And then we go off to other places and we don't know how their systems work either, right? And of course, Baldwin said it better than me, so I'm gonna put it up on the screen. He said, we are unbelievably ignorant concerning what goes on in our country to say nothing of what goes on in the rest of the world and appear to become too timid to question what we are told, right? And I think that that is like the yep. basis of, of even putting on the uniform, right? Uh, like being able to have the, the, the freedom to question, right? And I think that um, part of, of questioning, right? In 2022, a lot of lots of people are asking questions, but there's a whole segment of community that's also not listening, right? We're presenting with facts and figures and numbers and and uh, you know quantitative data, qualitative data for situations, but then we we have that uh, segment that's not hearing what they're being told, right? And so I think that um, you know in 2022, some of the things that are different from 1963 is that you know, that that process between, you know, in the civil rights movement was built up to to push society so much um, so that they had to listen, right? And I think that we, we ebbed and flowed a little bit back and forth with that now, right? Where it's like, you had to listen to us around some issues, but we haven't gotten so angry and so far that that people continue to listen to the issues that folks might have. So, so thought that I was. I don't. So I don't. I don't want this to be a hot take. And I say this, like fully understanding that, like it may end up becoming that. But like when I read that quote, and when I read it originally, when it comes to like America and like Americans, like I don't know if it's that a large enough percentage of the population is just too timid to question the way things work, or if it's I feel like a large part of our, especially like our voting base and like just American like system is like, whether it's on the left or the right, there's like a prevalence within 
churches and Christian, evangelical right, and then also some issues within like churches on the left where people view it as part of their identity to not question what's going on. They take whatever their pastor says as gospel, and in many ways they've almost outsourced thinking. So I feel like that's like the biggest thing about it. Like, so I actually kind of push back on Baldwin. I don't know if it's truly a, a thing about being too timid. I think like part of it is like ignorance is now part, part a large part of people's identity. Like, whereas if your pastor says one thing and tells you how to like the, how the system works, who's to blame for X, Y, and Z, why there's inflation, I feel like a lot of that isn't like being timid. It's about just outsourcing your thinking to whatever religious leader that you have. And I understand like people, I understand a lot of people here like have like their faith and everything like that. So I'm not saying, I'm not attacking the faith in general, but I do notice that within like certain pockets and certain churches, more so than the actual faith, like you have churches where people will just deify the pastor and that's why they're not questioning what's going on that's why they're not even seeking to learn how things work within the country they're just going to go by whatever the community and what their leaders say and i guess it must be a hot take because everybody wants to talk now <laughs> so i'll leave it there <laughs> we getting spicy i saw jarvis's hair first then i saw then i saw ac then i saw bruce we're gonna go in that order we're gonna keep it spicy okay so i disagree with that i don't it, it's not Willful ignorance is timid. It, in, in and of itself, is timid. So think of it like this. I'm willing to let another man tell me with no higher reader, reading comprehension than I, of, than I what to think. We read the same book. So how can you tell me what to think and how to interpret? If we're, they didn't we're, read it, though. Bro, they didn't read it. That's the thing. <laughs> like, that's the issue. Like, that's the heart of it. <laughs> and that's, and, that's, and that, that willful ignorance is, is, in all my mind, that's being timid. That's lack of courage. Like to be willfully ignorant is to be to, to be lacking courage, in my opinion, because the moment you start to trust yourself and your own intellect and your ability to comprehend and understand concepts, then you can. The first thing that comes next is questions like my daughter. As soon as she started reading, she was like, yo, dad, like what? How does this go? This doesn't go. This don't sound right. The math ain't math. And like immediately it came to like, yo, dad, like, hmm, well, honey, let's talk about it. Because your first thing, the moment you start using this, you begin to question. So the moment you outsource it and you say, oh, I'm not, I'm just going to listen to somebody else's word with no questions, then you're giving, a, you're, you're not having enough courage to have a voice. You're not having enough courage to have an opinion. And I feel like as an American, that's like part of like your duty is like the having the right to vote is to have an opinion, to have the courage to have an opinion. Like that's how, you know, that's how we get things sort of kind of done. But that's my opinion is questioning is courage and willful ignorance is not an excuse if you can read. That's fair. And so I add to that, you know, that, that the outsourcing trend that you talked about in terms of outsourcing thought ain't nothing new. I mean, slavery is literally predicated upon people going to church every single day or every single Sunday and being told that the things that they did Monday through Saturday, two black people were okay because God can donate. Thank you and amen. Close the close the, the book, pass the pass the plate. So the 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 premise that it's some kind of new phenomenon that, that people uh, outsource their thinking, so to speak, is 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 not a is doesn't necessarily hold weight in that regard. But I think to the exact point that uh, was just made. Uh, that timidity of that time in slavery 
is what allowed slavery to continue. That timidity of the time is what allowed Nazi Germany to rise. That willful ignorance to just groupthink your way through something because you don't want to be the one person in the crowd of 100 who's like, uh, that, don't, that don't look right. You don't want to be that one person. But what do they, what do they tell us all the time in class? Somebody asks a question because I guarantee you somebody else has the same question that you have. They just, they just don't want to raise their hand and ask it. And what happens every time you ask a question in class or in some, some kind of group setting, you get four of the people who are out like, yeah, yeah, I was thinking the same thing, yeah. Mm. Uh, so I think Jarvis is exactly right. It, it's, not, it's not so much that it, it's, the ignorance is that timidity, it is that lack of courage, it is that, that lack of willingness to be the person to say, hey, I've got a dumb question because nobody wants to, and it goes back to the trust, the trust in yourself and the trust in your society. Like, nobody wants to be the one to be like, I don't know what's going on right now, or I don't agree with what's going on right now, because everybody else around me seems like they do, and there's more safety in me being in this place than, than me stepping out of this place and potentially being extra uh, outcast from that, that place. Uh, that, that's all... That's all tied into the same premise, and, and, and I think it 100% goes to the lack of courage uh, that Jarvis was just talking about. Yeah, y'all getting deep. I love it. Bruce. And, and I'm going to not really disagree, but just kind of add an extra layer kind of to what's being said. So, um, you know, to, to Brandon's point, I, I do find it interesting that there are – there is a subset of people, and it's probably a big subset, who – has in many ways farmed out their opinions to someone else. I think that you can take it outside the church to a lot of different avenues, right? Um, and I also then tie in the fact that that doesn't mean it's lack, it, does, it doesn't excuse it, doesn't mean it's not timid. In fact, very well, it could be an example of, of lack of courage, right? Um, and it's not new. Um, what I will add to that though is, um, I think that the topic of courage sometimes comes with there's, a, there's this notion of bravery that, you know, you're just willing to do things just because you're not scared. And I think that really, in a, in a day-to-day lifestyle, courage sometimes is also about what you're willing to lose. And sometimes the people with the most courage have the less to lose. And why I bring that up is that when we think about groupthink, especially societally speaking in America, a lot of people have a lot to lose here. A lot of people are literally one missed paycheck away from being in the poorhouse. And so as a result, they're not thinking about being courage, being courageous, because they're worried about what's going to happen if they say the wrong thing. I'm not condoning that by no means, but just perspective that I think what you find a lot of people, what, what you find a lot of people in here in the country is a lot of people are just barely making it. And if you, com- if you compound barely making it with all the other day-to-day things they have to deal with, they're not willing to pick up their mantle and, and be courageous. And I think that part of, this, part of the way we get to this point where we're willing to be courageous with what needs to happen is we also need to solve some of the other problems, too, so people feel more empowered to be, create- be courageous, because ultimately... If, you know, 
if you if you know there's a problem, for example, in your community, but you can't even think about it because you don't know how you're going to get in your car and gas up and go to work and come back. You're going to say, well, I ain't thinking about the community right now. I'm trying to figure out how these kids are going to eat. And and that 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 kind of cycle, if you will, is how you keep people from being courageous, how you keep new ideas from bubbling up to the top and how you keep essentially people from being revolutionary, if that makes sense. Be a revolutionary. revolutionary. Right? I'm black, therefore I am. Kwame uh, Ture. Uh, but I, I will say a lot of people are going to be thinking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs when, you, when you're talking about being able to, to go out and march and do things, but you can't put food on the table, right? And so you know, that's where our, our, revo our revolutionaries did. That's where they started from, right? If, if you think about, uh, you know, Hugh P. Newton, the Black Panther Party, you know, their revolutionary task was feeding the community so that they will be able to do some of the things that you're talking about, right? So I think uh, that's definitely a point well well stated. Um, and I know that we're almost at, at our normal time, if not just a little bit after from, from where we usually chat and discuss. So, um, I'm sure that our, our audience has been quite entertained with our banter back and forth. Uh, I know we got some business to handle on the opposite end of uh, the, this podcast, so I'm going to uh, make sure that we wrap things up. Uh, be sure you hit that like and subscribe button. Um, but I'm sure we'll have a, a part two of, of what's on our, our Black Men's Book Club shelf uh, to be back for a couple of other episodes. And uh, just to point out, <laughs> Black Men, we read. And uh, with that, I think we'll call this uh, episode a wrap. Uh, if anything, stay motivated, rise together, and we'll see you on the next one. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Remember, the way we build social capital is to build self and build others. We are sure you got some notes on your tablet, computer, or even using a pen and paper. Leave us a review. Continue the conversation on social media at Black Social Cap and share the show with someone you know. Until the next episode, stay motivated, rise together.